I did run into some old law enforcement reports called case incident reports, and I was looking through them, and I, I saw case incident reports written on me. The pages were pink. They were tucked into a folder in a metal filing cabinet in an office that had once been a general store. It was 1978. Kevin Cherie was going through papers in his office. He was working his first permanent ranger assignment at the newly formed Buffalo National River Park in Arkansas. The park's formation was contentious. Some community members were angry at the National Park Service because they had lost land to the government. It fell on the rangers to make the peace. And these attempts to make the peace, well, Cherie found them recorded on these pink-paged incident reports. But what surprised him the most was that he found himself included. And the statements that the rangers uh, documented, they were threats against me. They actually, you know, death threats uh, against this new ranger where they were feeling out the community and letting them know that they had hired a black ranger and their, their responses were, you know, like, you know, well, he won't last long or we're going to kill him or stuff like that. And that was eye-opening. Cherie was an easy target. You see, he was the first and the only African-American on staff. In fact, he was usually the first and the only African-American throughout a career that spanned four decades. America has a complicated history with race, and naturally, the National Park Service does too. I'm National Park Service historian Lou Ann Jones, and you're listening to A Sense of Place, Stories of Stewardship in the National Park Service. In this series, we're diving into the oral history archives to bring you the stories of the people who shaped the parks and the service. Today, the National Park Service reckons with representation. I was able to catch up with Cherie on the phone. He's still in Arkansas these days. Cherie grew up in New Orleans. He first came to the National Park Service in the 1970s through a program that recruited students from historically black colleges and universities. So everything that I was about to embark on was foreign to me. And uh, I was completely naive of uh, even what I was stepping into. Despite the fact that I was somewhat of an introvert, joining the Park Service was probably the one impact in my life that changed that uh, in me. The NPS assigned him to Carlsbad Caverns in New Mexico. The site and the culture of the Southwest intrigued Cherie, and he returned for three more summers. But it didn't take me long to fall in love with the mission of the agency and as well as the people that work there. I think I was so impressed with the attitudes of people in the Park Service that work together, the, the family atmosphere, uh, the support, and uh, their whole energy they showed toward what they did, that it was contagious for me, and uh, I began to uh, consider that as a possible career. He became a permanent ranger. He wore the uniform. 
He now would be formally representing the agency. But there was also something else, something really big. I began to realize, well, you know, I have a unique opportunity here because I'm representing black America to them, so I better put my best foot forward. And, and so I put, a, I put a little pressure on myself to, to say, well, here's you know, my opportunity to, to change the way these folks will see uh, black people in the future and, and, and how they may treat them in the future if, if they just get a chance to get to know me. This was an aha moment to Cherie he realized he was about to be informally tasked with a kind of educational and emotional labor that his employee handbook had never mentioned. I thought, well, you know, maybe if they get some uh, inkling of what black people are like, maybe, maybe they wouldn't be so um, hostile or negative toward them. And uh, because they truly were, they just, they just didn't have a clue. Perhaps this responsibility of representation wouldn't have fallen on him if the workforce of the Park Service had been a bit more diverse, but it just wasn't. The truth is, people of color have historically made up a small portion of the National Park Service. Like every American institution, the agency still suffers the consequences of racial segregation and exclusion even as it works to create a workforce that fully reflects the public that it serves. As Cherie rose through the ranks and eventually became a park superintendent, he made hiring a diverse staff his mission. I had no excuse. I was in a position of power. I needed to lead by example, and I needed to get some diversity here. Today, the people who visit parks and the people who work in parks are still overwhelmingly white. Researchers have many guesses as to why. The long shadow of discrimination and racial segregation in the parks themselves make people of color feel unwelcomed. The history of segregation, segregated bathrooms, picnic areas, camping spots, and cabins. And then there are barriers to access, the cost of park admission, or the lack of public transportation to remote parks. I don't like the terms underrepresented groups. Uh, I prefer the underexposed. That we just don't have exposure to these things uh, to to know and and therefore what opportunities are there or, or to take advantage of some of those opportunities. I mean, even my own kids are more for me in this agency. They, they have yet to go to a school that, you know, highlighted anything about working for the National Park Service. You know, so, so how, how would they know, if not for me, about this agency? And so we, we need to think about, as we tr- we're trying to reach out to other groups, if we're doing a, a, a good enough job. Exposure was part of Cherie's job but he also pushed proactively for inclusivity, for a more diverse workforce, but it wasn't easy. And many people in the Park Service were still very much against affirmative action. They still thought it was a quota program and and didn't understand that uh, for years that these these different uh, groups, whether it was uh, a minority group or women, we're not getting the opportunities to, or even the knowledge of the agency and the, and the opportunities within the agency to take advantage of. And so 
when you were approaching them, it was so foreign, yet yeah, recruitment might have been a challenge, but it was not impossible. Mm -hmm. And here it was when I became a manager, you know, I was having immediate success. Uh, you know, why was that? Well, it was all about attitude. You know, I didn't look for the excuse, and I found that people just leaned on that excuse too much. Cherie returned to Buffalo National River in 2007, this time as its superintendent. When he retired in 2018, he counted building a diverse staff as one of his greatest achievements. When you have accomplishments in, in anything you're doing, that's what keeps you going. So, yes, there were the challenges, but there was also the, the success. At the minority end of it, again, that, that opportunity to open doors and break barriers uh, was another thing I was committed to. I said, you know, there's a purpose I have now in life that I, I can see that I can serve in this agency. And it means putting up with some crap sometimes. But in the end, the agency will be better off if I'm doing what I think I'm doing and what I thought I was doing right. And, it, and by doing things right and being a good representative of, of, of my minority group, not only will I help maybe uh, inspire other minorities to follow in my footsteps, but also I'm dispelling these stereotypes and uh, opinions of people who've never been exposed to a black person and certainly a black supervisor uh, that hopefully they can gain uh, you know, a positive outlook in the future and, and maybe have better relationships in the future because of their opportunity to work with me. But that accomplishment came with a price. When he attended his final meeting of park superintendents, Kevin Cherie revealed the burden he had carried for decades and reminded colleagues of work yet to be done. When I, I got up in front of the group just to, you know, of course, thank the, them for their support and just say parting words, um, I, I could not hold back my emotions. It just, I was overwhelmed with that now this is ending and what I had experienced. And I had to be honest with them. And I told them how difficult it has been in this agency to constantly be, always have to be the first or the only. And um, in so many cases throughout my career that it wasn't just in the beginning or the old days, it was, even at that point, I, and I pointed it out to them that, look in this room, you know, even now, I'm the only male black manager. I said, you know, it, when you try to tell people things have gotten better, you, you can't look at this room and say that. I mean, we've got to be honest with ourselves. I says, you know, I'm still finding myself to be the only one and only. And just to kind of explain to them how, you know, difficult that could be uh, at times and how hard that was because, again, the constant uh, worry about how you would be perceived, the constant worry about how you'd be supported and living through these experiences. So, um, yeah, I, I could barely get the words out. It was a highly emotional time for me, but um, I kind of felt they needed to hear it. As America grows more diverse, the diversity of the National Park Service's workforce is crucial. 
This diversity fosters richer, more complex dialogue about our most treasured places. The NPS recognizes that it needs to keep asking hard questions about its own history of diversity and inclusion and recommit to change. This has been A Sense of Place, Stories of Stewardship from the National Park Service. I'm your host, Lou Ann Jones. I conducted this interview in 2018 with the help of ISIS Plaza, an intern with the Historically Black Colleges and Universities Internship Program. The interview was completed for Telling Our Own Untold Stories, Civil Rights in the National Park Service Oral History Project. This episode was produced by Emma Cortland and Robin Minotaur for the National Park Service with help from Otis Gray. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. <laughs>